0: Yeah, what's up, man? What's going on, man? How you doing? I'm doing great. How are you doing, buddy? Ah, man, I'm good. I'm good. Uh, We actually just got done with our third of this new series we started called uh, Rockstar Women of Restaurants, and we are hosting these Zoom sessions with uh, three or four ladies that we've gotten to know over the years of doing this through the books, podcasts, just being customers or whatever, but ones from around the country. So we, we get them together on a zoom and we just talk about, you know, not just being a, a female owner, but just getting females that are owners together to talk about the business. Sure. And been a lot of fun, man, learning a ton. And it's great to see people that have never met each other, get on a zoom, they have the common, one common thing they in restaurants they're in different parts of the country and it's just amazing how quickly they connect uh appreciate each other learn from each other uh share ideas with each other i
1: mean just awesome very cool that's great that's great i i honestly have felt a little besieged you know i've I've identified myself when i when i start feeling a little overwhelmed i kind of close it down a little bit, you know know what I mean? And uh, uh, hopefully I can start reopening back up and start making more connections, you know? It's just, uh, you know, it's been, it's just brutal though, right? (laughs) Well, no, I
0: mean, so uh, we'll we'll get into what's going on with the distillery there, and then you've got Top of the Hill Restaurant and Brewery. I mean, I actually thought about, like, do we serve so many uh, breweries? I mean, they're everywhere now, and- You've been doing it forever. The uh, But it, I, I actually, we were thinking about you know, these series like this, like this Rockstar Women, like finding people that have like interests or like, you know, uh, types of business. So we could, I actually thought about doing one for uh, brewers from around the country just to, you know, you get people together that are smart and have a similar interest and passion and then you, you, good things happen, right? You know, yeah. so um, yeah. we may do that, but
1: let's, okay. So so we decided. Before I forget, it's a yeah a thought hit me and you would be the guy that could pull this off or that the, you know but back in the turn of the century man there was an actual brew pub convention right where like mm-hmm. like you would go and they'd have trade booths and you'd walk around and you'd you know see people and it was just for brew pubs um and ultimately i think it only lasted four or five years and and you know at the time, I guess maybe there wasn't just enough business or whatever. But obviously now there's a hell of a lot more brew pubs than there were in 2000, 2001. But you know, building on what you're talking about, that idea of a of a trade show or or something. But maybe you know uh, this whole Zoom thing has you know taught all of us that so much of what we thought had to happen in person. Like, so uh, mm-hmm. I've got a, a a buddy who's just leasing space for just a month or two. He won Shark Tank. You gotta meet this guy. He's really cool. His name's Josh. Oh, he told me about that guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so it was interesting he just got into Target. And so last two days, he's been doing a virtual trade show as part of the one of the new Target vendors. You know what I mean? And so like you got a virtual booth and people are coming by and meeting and all that stuff. And and yeah, my first, you know, my first reaction to it is like, what the fuck? But like I said, I think we've all, like in some ways, Zoom has made it that we can, it's easier to interact with you. I yes. mean, you know, so, no, no, no. Uh, so the idea of, of now that we've got the ability to sell things online, do all this stuff online, What I mean, like you ask yourself, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, we love going to places, but the idea of having a trade show or that type of thing and you being able to segment it out, mm-hmm. say, hey, here's, here's the brew pub trade show versus a, brewery trade show because the two were different right i mean like like i don't know just something to think about
0: well okay just to ask you about that real quick the brew brew pub trade show who was, who was that for was that for brew pub owners or is that
1: for the public was that no it was no it was for brew pub owners to come and like you know best practices what are the equipment what you know yeah. pos systems mm. technology to brew with and obviously now you would have you know canning know people that are doing packaging people that are not doing packaging you have speakers talk about sales mix and how do you innovate you know in terms of you know because brew pubs have an interesting challenge in the sense of uh you know how many taps do you have and and how like like in my case i have only got six taps, so how innovative do i want to be because at some point like like if i've just got a bunch of really whacked out beers then you know, I may I may hurt myself. You know what I mean. But if I if I don't have anything that's kind of interesting, uh, or or a little more cutting edge, then I'm kind of hurting myself too, right? You know that type of thing. I mean, I, you know, there's just there's just perhaps some meat on that bone for you in terms of uh, best practices and all that kind of stuff. I don't know, just throwing it out there. No, dude, uh, that's why. I, yeah, I love that. You know, because we. Cause we uh...
0: Wow, so many thoughts go through my head when you mention that. We're, we're, we've always felt like there's value in our, our our network or whatever you want to call it of customers, right? Yeah. And because it's so fragmented, you know, we're, everybody we serve has got, you know, one location, two, five, you know, whatever, 10, ten at most probably. But, um, you know, it, we always find it to be really interesting when you, like I said, with the Rockstar Women thing, where you get these folks together to share ideas. They learn from each other. We learn. Um, and y'all are so all of you, you and everybody that's your peer is typically so immersed in what you do. It would have been hard to do that in person. Cause do you have time to go to a thing? Phone calls are one thing, but man, these zooms are when you can really connect with people. You can see them. It just, that, that level of connection is, it is literally, it is why we, uh, remember the film series we started? Yeah, yeah. It started because folks like you and Dave Query and some of the folks that we interviewed for the book, you know, we always felt like, okay, the book's good, but like, you can't hear the inflection in their voice. You can't, like once you really, what I heard doing those interviews was very different than how somebody might read that yeah. On paper, so we thought, well, what are we filming? because then you can really see where these guys and gals come alive, and that was really cool. And then that gets challenging, which but now we can, you know, the zoom thing. This is why, okay, so here we are. You and I are doing this right now for the sole reason that you've got uh yeah, a business right. opportunity, right? And you're, and yeah. I was like, well, maybe we can connect you with some people that might be. And then we went, well, why don't we just zoom it? Because we can put the out there, and it's like an unlimited audience, and you can really showcase, you know, what you have yeah. and why it's important. It's so much better than like an email. Like you sent me an email, and I was reading, it and I was like, "Yeah, but that's different than hearing Scott talk about it." I know Scott. Like
1: that's right. No, 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 you know, and I, I, I literally, when you suggested this, I was like, "Holy shit!" Why didn't I think about that? Yeah. You know, the thing that I think about a lot that I don't do is I think about how you said that you and your partners communicate via voice message text <laughs> yeah. right i don't know if you still do that or not but but the the lesson from that is that idea that the text can be misunderstood that oh right? yes right and so that that next level there so much more communicated um yes and so uh you know anyways i think about that like i said we don't do it but I think about that all the time because, because what we have is we have, if it takes more than three texts, uh, call each other because this is, you know, we're not going to, we're not going to be able to, if if it takes more than three texts, there's clearly something that we need to talk about. Right. You know what I mean? So
0: anyway, well, text is the easy way out a lot of times. And there's something that Wes has always said, and I really have come to appreciate this, which is just because you can doesn't mean you should. And, uh, I tend to take things to the extremes. I don't even know if I told you this, but you know, I got a flip phone now, Scott. Yeah. That's what you said. <laughs> I can't text. Like I can't, I mean, it's just too, it's, too, I mean, you're, you t- like I use my iPad it's sitting right here. Like, so I get my, uh, any texts I have, you know, they're right here at this desk, but this thing stays here. Right. So people have learned, like, if you want to get me, you, you know you kind of got to call me and, the, and i have to call people and the good thing is you have these phone conversations and you're like oh i remember what it was like to talk on the phone like instead of just te- like conversationally
1: and it's just better right? so anyway i tell people all the time that one day we're going to invent this thing that's going to allow us to actually talk to each other <laughs> i mean it's crazy it really is
0: well tell us so tell me okay so why so here we are you've got a uh Uh, Top of the Hill restaurant and brewery, but you also started Topo Distillery, which you've got your bottles displayed back there. Look awesome. I have some right around the corner here. I should should be drinking some of your vodka while I'm doing this. But uh, so but you're uh, you're you're exiting that and uh, you've got a lot of equipment. You've got some ideas. So uh, tell tell us about it.
1: Yeah. So uh, when so a little known fact about Top of the Hill is uh, we were the second brewery in the country to put beer in a can. Um, and uh, I did it on a very small level. In fact, I learned about it at a brew pub conference. I was the first guy to buy a, a canning machine from cask, cask um, canning lines or whatever the hell they're called. But um, in any event, um, I was doing that. And I, in the process of realizing, oh, wow, I can actually sell this and 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 build a brewery. So I'm looking at building a brewery to to support my canning operation. And in the process of that, realize if I do a distillery instead, so now this is like 05, 06. If I do a distillery instead, I can use all local ingredients. And I thought to myself, you know, I could kind of be, instead of being a brewery that just follows in the footsteps of a Sierra Nevada or a New Belgium or something, maybe by being a distillery, I could be the distillery version of that type of organization, be on the, cutting edge. And the problem is that it took a while to launch. I got delayed by the town by three years. And and when I started this thing, it was going to be in one spot, but then I had the opportunity to buy a building. I bought the old Chapel Hill News building on Franklin Street, but I had to put together a company to do that. And to make a long story short, um, when the distillery, we got the distillery opened, I didn't understand the specific challenges in North Carolina about microdistilling and in every other control state microdistillers were very very successful but in every other control state the state owns the ABC stores and I did not realize that in North Carolina we franchise those out to counties and municipalities so Catawkin Creek which would be like my twin in Virginia talking Creek distillery. When they go to Virginia and say, Hey, we've got this distillery. We want to be in the stores. Virginia says, Oh, this is fantastic. You've got jobs and a tax base for us. We're going to put you in all 400 stores. Boom." And we're going to train our people how to sell it in North Carolina. On the other hand, it was, Oh, you're in a system, but now you got to go out and sell to 170 different boards. There was no like, like state, like, Hey guys, you know, bring these people on that type of thing. And so immediately for the past decade, I realized we just needed to change laws. And starting in 15, we were able to change laws. In my mind, we had to change the laws so that distilleries could operate like breweries. Right. And in 2019, from a law we passed in 15, another one we passed in 17, and another one we passed in 19, we have basically created the equivalent of a micro distillery restaurant, just like you have a group up. So the, the ability to do that now exists. Then, of course, COVID hits. And I had that separate company that owns the building, and it was time for us to sell the building. And so I needed to move the distillery. I thought I'd lined up a place to move it relatively closely. That fell apart for lots of reasons. I'm unable to find a good place for it close to me. I'm uninterested in running a distillery that's 50 miles away from me. And so I am looking for someone to purchase this distillery. And to me, there are some really intriguing opportunities. And and in my mind, a um you know, obviously, well, let me back up. The law has changed in a way that that now a distillery can sell its own product direct to consumers, right? Or by the glass, right, in their distillery without going through the ABC markup system. So, uh, and we can sell unlimited bottles like that. And so the other interesting thing is, is that, that you don't have to own a distillery to be a distillery. So you can get a distillery license and then have somebody make that product for you, but it's your product. So I think the opportunity here is vast for somebody that would like to you know, start a distillery here. They could have the existing model where you'd launch your own brand. You know, I've got a brand that's selling about three hundred thousand dollars a year, so I could be your first customer, or we could work out some kind of licensing thing or something. But most of all, I think what what happens is is that, in my mind, a brewery that was already self-distributing, if they purchased this distillery, could amp up their own tasting room situation because now they can not only sell their own beers, but then they could sell their own liquor, so you can have cocktails and all of that. And since you're self-distributing, you could work out deals with your customers and those customers, you know, you could help facilitate or I'm an attorney. I could I could get into this business or help facilitate these restaurants to become distilleries. And that way, then what you could do is provide liquor to these folks that you're also providing beer for and they don't have to pay the ABC markup. So they're cutting their liquor costs. You're making sales. And I think there is a huge business model here. And to be honest, just from my own perspective, I'm 54. I've been doing this for 12 years, a lot of hard time. I've got, I've got a 12-year-old kid, a 10-year-old kid, a six-year-old kid. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not really interested in starting another restaurant. I've still got my restaurant and brewery I wanna operate. Um, I realize that I like being in the Chapel Hill business, not so much you know, the restaurant business or the distillery business. And so if it's not going to be in Chapel Hill, I'm just not as motivated. I just think there's a great opportunity, and, and I'm hoping that somebody will see the value. So, okay, when you say to buy
0: the dist- okay, so it's you've got all your equipment. That's right. Which you, then you've got your, the, the, what you're selling. Now. You're talking about buying the, the topo distillery? Or see, that's the
1: thing. The- you, could, you, could, you could, you know, again, we're open to anything, right? Like, like um, I've got about a nine-month window to move the distillery. Uh, so on one hand, someone could just buy the equipment. On the other hand, you know, well, and I, I think what we're really seeing here, Will, is I don't think I sell my business as an ongoing concern, although I'm happy to do that if someone's interested in doing that. But um, I think the reality is, is that somebody could buy this really, like the plant that we got, is fantastic. It's made by Carl. They're the oldest uh, distillery manufacturer in the world. Um, it is really sized to do some serious volume, but you can really do some real serious craft stuff. What makes us different is we make it from scratch, 80% of distilleries buy alcohol already made. You know, We're actually doing fermentation and, and running it through and everything's sized and everything fits together very, very efficiently. And I think if someone were to buy this, What I'm saying is, is that I already sell $300,000 a year in product. So I could commission you, the buy, the new buyer to make that stuff for me. Right. Or if you wanted to, you know, you could, you could buy the brand and like, you know, work out a licensing fee or whatever. I mean, there's real flexibility, but my point is you wouldn't be starting from scratch. Yeah. And, and the biggest thing is, is that, you know, I've got a great distiller and, you know, my business partner, Esteban, is very interested in, in staying involved in this space as well. So, you know, it's almost like, hey, it's a ready-made, you know, business model ready to go if there were folks that basically we just need to go through another recap. And, and I'm just, I already went through one capitalization. I, I You know, just like in, going back to the canned beer thing, I was five years too early on that canned beer, Right. And I was trying to get people, people mock me, people in the brewing industry. Um, um, uh, Jim, Jim Cook owes me a hundred dollars because I had lunch with him at a brewer's convention in 2005. And he told me, you know what? You're putting microbrew beer in a can. And he had just come out with his beer drinkers bill of rights, one of which was beer should not come in a can. <laughs> right, I, like it. I,
0: bet,
1: I bet him a hundred bucks. I said within ten years they're going to be putting Sam Adams into a can, and sure enough, nine and a half years after we talked, he was putting Sam Adams in a can. So I was just a little too ahead of my time. I feel the same way with distilling yeah. that that I was kind of on the bleeding edge, and and I don't mean to make this about me, but but I, I honestly think that if you asked anybody, they would say that I was the prime mover in terms of changing the laws. I think I've cheated up. I just don't have the energy to. Actually, tee off. Oh, you definitely have been. Uh, no doubt
0: about that. Here in North Carolina, do you? Okay. So this is really a something for somebody in North Carolina because of the way the laws are set now. Or well, I mean,
1: every state's got different laws, and so if someone were interested in doing this um, somewhere else, you know, I, again, state law drives alcohol law, mm-hmm. and so um, so there are other places that that this could work really well. Uh where but are you going at, in? Are you how many states are you in? You're, uh, at, one, at one point we were distributed in 11 states and Japan. Um, but we've backed off and now we're just in, in North Carolina. Okay. Um uh, But yeah, yeah, so going back to your question though, there are plenty of plenty of places where micro distilleries are doing well. Historically in North Carolina, they haven't done that well. But I don't think that the the full implications of the law that we passed in late 2019 because covid hit yeah like nobody's taken advantage of that yet and so there's going to be like like truly i guarantee you that covid is going to be the end of the chapter of of um onerous regulation and after covid you're going to see distilleries take off like you saw with with breweries and and i think that that it's going to be a very successful business model and on one level I really hate to get out of the game, but on the other level, I realize you know, I've only got my kids for so long, you know, I mean, you know, let's, let's, let's not shy away from it. Anyone in this business knows it's, it's hard to get something up and going. I mean, you know, but I think that that for the last 10 to 15 years, the stillers have had a hard time putting together a successful business model. Uh, now you can do that. The most successful business model for all craft alcohol, whether it's wineries, breweries, or distilleries, is that people come and you sell direct to consumer at your location, right? That, that there's always a breakout couple of breweries or wineries or distilleries that get some distribution, but the bread and butter of the industry is, come to my facility, make it an event, buy my stuff, take it home. So now you can do that. And I'm suggesting that you can help restaurants because of the laws, you can help restaurants make their own alcohol brand and escape the 85% markup of the ABC system.
0: Yeah. So give me, okay. So to connect the dots, so if I'm, so it doesn't really even need to be a, Okay, I'm th- I was thinking of like a, re- a brewery or existing brewery that might buy the equipment because they've got room and want to. Exp- but you're talking about white labeling um, these alcohols so that if I'm a restaurant in Charlotte, North Carolina, where yep. I am, or down here in Waxhaw, I could have, have a branded bourbon that's, that's from cool. my restaurant.
1: It's just white labeled. Yeah, so my, my, I mean, you know, you could do it any way you want. You could be as complicated as you wanted. But what I think the the way that I would do it would be you would have a stable of product. You know, we make wheat whiskey, but you could have a bourbon, a wheat whiskey, a vodka, a gin, et cetera. And that would be the one that, you know, um, I don't know, call it the, you know, up, uptown, the uptown pub could have their branded alcohols right another place in Salisbury could have their branded alcohols and the key to all of this though is and you know like let's take my vodka it's $29.95 in the ABC store excuse me $28.95 in the ABC store and then of course the ABC you got to a you know, mixed beverage license markup it's got to go up $3.75 from there right a distillery doesn't have to do that okay a distillery doesn't have to pay the ABC markup. So, so I, I pay that. I sell my bottle of vodka that goes for $28.95 to the ABC store for $15 and 17 cents. Ultimately that bottle of vodka costs the um, uh, restaurant like $32 and 70 cents. Why? Well, because you got the mixed beverage markup as well. Right? So if, if the restaurant were to pay, it's 200, I think it's $200 a year license to become a distillery, then worked out a production agreement with whoever owned my actual distillery, then you could be basically selling them bottles of booze for 15 bucks and everybody wins. Wow. And so Does that makes sense? Oh it totally makes sense.
0: So okay. So you could have, gosh man, if I were a young man, uh, because you you could have somebody that goes out and just gets restaurants all over the state well see and this is why i keep going back to the thing for them too right like you can educate them. look for 200 bucks you get your distiller's license i'm producing the alcohol you tell me what you want vodka whiskey whatever we work out a deal we work out an agreement that you're purchasing some volume and then
1: and then i'm going to the next restaurant and everybody's got their own branded And right, and then to me, and maybe I'm oversimplifying this, but to me, if I'm a brewery that's already doing my self distribution, right, as we know, the problem with self distribution for breweries is you don't have enough SKUs. You know, if you're doing self distribution, like I don't see self distribution as being the linchpin to this, but I see it being the cherry on top. If you're a brewery that's doing self distribution, well, the problem is you don't have enough SKUs. So it's difficult to make your delivery runs be profitable because there's a limit to how much you are dropping off at every delivery stop. So now you branch into being a distillery as well. What you've just done is you have really increased the value of each stop on that distribution route, right? Because I figure if you've already got somebody as a customer for your beer, selling them this with the same salespeople, all of that kind of stuff, right? You've already got a sales force in place. You've got a distribution team in place. Adding these extra SKUs with this incredible economic value you provide the customer seems to me to be a no-brainer.
0: Yeah, for any brewery, that would make a ton of sense. Okay, so how do – I mean, like, you've got this equipment there in the building that you're in right now. Yeah. How much space do you need to house all this effectively? And like, let's say you were going to build, you have your own and and you weren't already a brewery, but you, you, some enterprising group of people watches
1: this and it's like, man, let's buy that, put it in a warehouse and start doing this. So the production facility is our entire production facility is in 5,000 square feet,
0: 5,000 square feet
1: right now. Now the reality is you're going to want to take advantage of. Uh, you know tasting room tchotchke all that kind of stuff so i imagine you know it, it, well what we do is we run it in an 8000 square foot facility 5000s production 3000 square feet extra stuff right offices whatever um a little tasting room all that kind of stuff but that's my whole point is if you're if you're already a pretty big brewer right you know you're not even gonna need that 5,000 for production and you've already got the tasting room, right? So, you know, really, I suspect that if you are already an existing brewer, probably squeeze this in three, 4,000 square feet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the tasting room is just being added to, right? I mean, so to me, this is just a, another layer on the cake and there's no restrictions in terms of a brewery owning a distillery because we're in the same level of production. right? That's why, I mean, arguably, I could say this to a restaurant group, uh, and the ABC folks have granted exceptions to people that own restaurants to have distilleries, but literally there is no bar to a brewery owning a distillery, or a winery for this matter, right? And, And by the way, that's the other thing, we haven't even talked about that, but a winery would be the same way, and in fact, in many ways... I look at the winery side as the real possibility too, because the problem with North Carolina wineries is that it's very rare that you've got vintages that can stand alone as really good quality wine. So a lot of people bring in grapes from other places in order to supplement or to boost, et cetera. The cool thing about a distillery is is that the grapes may not be suitable for making a top tier wine, but they would all be great for making top tier spirits. Right. So you would have full Mm -hmm. utilization of your agricultural product that you're growing. Right.
0: Biltmore man.
1: (laughs) No, we're in discussions with Biltmore. (laughs) That is is actually happening. Um, And so the point though is, is, you know, who knows? Right. So, um, but yes, to me, Biltmore would be, it's a total no-brainer. They've got so many people coming. Yeah. So so already they charge the tour of their winery, throw another $10 on to tour the distillery as well. They don't use many of the grapes that they grow. They bring them all in from California for their good wine. So, but now, instead of sort of glossing over that and kind of massaging over that fact, they could just talk about, hey, we grow these grapes and every 3 or 4 years we get a vintage so good we make wine out of it but all the other times we use it to make our spirits right and so total utilization plus also they could be growing grain corn all that kind of stuff so right okay yeah right and 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 you know the other thing that i see happening the trend i see going on is that, you know people really seeing you know farm breweries farm wineries right and and turning them into venues right same thing here right putting a distillery on a farm that's you know you've already got a brewery or whatever but a music venue that kind of thing but you'd be using all the agriculture that you actually grew uh, and in many ways distilling uh, uh can be more forgiving like the, the 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 you know the quality of it all impacts flavor don't get me wrong right but but distilling has a little bit more of a forgiveness to it than let's say for example wine Yep. yeah Okay. Um,
0: what am I missing? What other questions should I be asking? What, what else do we want to convey to
1: anybody that might be watching or listening? I'll put this on a podcast too. That'd be great. Um, I mean, you know, I, I think that anybody that's in the brewing industry is not, um, intimidated by the idea of moving the equipment, but people that are not in it or like, Oh my God, you got to move this equipment. Well, that's, believe me, there's a whole, you know, um, a segment of manufacturing in this world. And they move big pieces of equipment all the time. So, I mean, so moving equipment is no big deal. The other thing about it, distilling equipment, which is also true for brewing equipment, you know, it doesn't degrade like restaurant equipment. You know what I mean? Like a, like a piece of restaurant equipment, it, it's got a life to it. You know, Brewing equipment, distilling equipment, that has been well-maintained. You know, there is no, oh shit, this is used. I get, no, you know, in, in many ways, sometimes used is better, you know, it works well. Um, so I think the big thing that, that we've got for people here in North Carolina is, you know, we're open to negotiation. I've got, I've got to make this happen. I'll make this happen in one part or another. It would be a crying shame to see this just auctioned off by the piece, but if we have to do it, we will. But what I do think we have right now is the ability for somebody to step in. Because the other issue is, okay, getting licensing, all that kind of stuff, right? So, again, depending on how we want to structure the deal, someone could come in and literally take over from day one. And we could handle all that licensing stuff. And there would be no delays in terms of waiting for equipment. So, I think that's the big thing, that there are big big lines right now in terms of of buying new equipment. Um, Buying used equipment, the problem is sizing it correctly making sure it all works together. Hey, this is all, you know, obviously we make a lot of it, right? I mean, we, it's all paired. You don't have to worry about something not quite fitting. Right. Um, and so I think it's, it's about as easy as it can get. It's a, it's a, uh, you know, you could buy this thing and you'd be continuing to have sales and then you could grow other legs of the business model. I think it's kind of a, as about a simple, if, if you wanted to get into this industry, this would be about the most simple way to do it. Are you in every, how many ABC boards are there in North Carolina? 170. How many of, of those have approved? your? Oh, we're almost all of them, yeah. I mean, you know, we're we're all over. I will tell you that, uh, you know, some ABC systems are more friendly to micro distilleries than others. Um, but, um, yeah, we're there.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. How much, how many bottles does it take to sell and be profitable? Well, it depends on your overhead. And, you know, downtown Chapel Hill ain't exactly the cheapest, right? So. Yeah. Um, you know, so, you know, I think that, uh, uh, we're, you know, we're selling about 300,000 a year and we are just, just under break even right now, you know, $300,000 I mean? $300, a year. Yeah. So, so, you know, what is that? 10, 10 is That all right. 20,000 bottles, 15
0: yeah. bucks a bottle. Is that right? Okay. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Got it uh but your overhead is uh how many staff does it take
1: oh not at all that's that's what's so great right like i've got you know at one point i had 150 people working at the restaurant and brewery and we, we've we run the, the most we've ever had is five down here at the store yeah. right so and then think? i think the big thing for me too the thing that if i were to do this over again is you know you would think being in downtown chapel hill you would get a lot of foot traffic and all that stuff and and, and you really don't um So, I think if you position this as really taking advantage of of, of making a tourist destination, I think when people come to Chapel Hill, there's so many things to do. Like, I'm here to see my kids at school, go to the game, all that. Yep. That, that, um, you know, we're, you know, I can just imagine a different situation. Well,
0: you would think somewhere, I wanna, I'm looking at something. I don't, uh, I wanna, um, so I have a buddy who's in the business. I told him about your stuff yesterday. they have this place. This, you mentioned a destination. He sends me this uh asked if they needed equipment. He said, I don't think so. We have this place, this whole place. Uh Castle and Key. Have you ever heard of this place? I haven't. Is it here in North Carolina? Dude, it's some old oh, no, it's in Kentucky, this old distillery, and it was like run down. Yeah. Then uh these guys um let me see if I can pull this up. These guys bought, it's called castle and key, castle and key.com. But it's, it looks like an old castle. So you, um, you know, you, you go there and it's like a destination. Like there's, it's more than just, you know, it's a place to go and people go. So anyway. And, so, and
1: by the way, that's, that's one of the interesting things. That's how the laws changed, right? So when I start working on this in 2009, we're not even able to give tours, let alone sell bottles. Yeah. Right. So. So, you know, the idea of the plant wasn't like, hey, let's have it where it's going to be more retail. You know what I mean? So now That's knowing what we know and given the laws, hey, what you want to do is you want to make this a destination, um, you know, a fun place to come. Yes. Can you see that? Oh, yeah. Look at that. That is so cool. It
0: was like an old run. They, they you know, they just wow. looks like a castle. They restored it. Reimagining how Kentucky spirits are presented to the world. So you, you go there. I mean, it's like, you know, you go visit this place, but anyway. Uh, okay. Yeah. I mean, that would be cool here. Like, when I, yeah, your point about the winery is good. Cause you know, somewhere on a, I would imagine out on a farm or somewhere where you would go and stay, but there's so many opportunities. I really like the idea of, uh, again, you're always so far ahead of the curve. Well, to my detriment, right? <laughs> well, it's, it's, there's a balance, right? Like there's the yeah. innovators, there's the early adopters, and there's mainstream acceptance. And you're always on the innovative side of that. And, and sometimes you can just be, you know, just way ahead. I mean, the... Um,
1: well, I'll tell you the other piece that we're way ahead on is that our brand's organic, right? Right. And I got to tell you that 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 alcohol is the only category of food and beverage that organic has not completely re- revolutionized. Um, and when I say that, even liquor, right, because I mean, liquor is the only one, because even in wine and beer, organics making real headway, although it had some real problems with wine. But now it's it's back again. And what I was surprised at was the lack of customer. Understanding, like even chefs that were dedicated to the idea of local and organic when it came to liquor, they're like, yeah, have great Goose or something like they didn't understand that liquor is a farm product, right? That this is what it really is. And and I think that makes sense because by and large, 80, 90% of the liquor sold in the United States is not a farm product. It's treated like it's a chemical, right? Mm-hmm. So so now I think that we've done, I, I, I sort of look at us like St. John the Baptist, right? Like, like hey, we're, we're walking around letting people know this is coming and everyone's looking at us like we are strange. Mm-hmm. I got a distributor in Delaware for five years and then finally we pulled out of Delaware and then we were gone for like six months. And the guy called me up and he said, dude, I just realized that you make your own stuff.
0: <laughs>
1: and I go, Yeah, well, you distributed us for five years. That, that that was the whole shtick. We made our own stuff. And he goes, Yeah, everybody says that. But now I realize that you actually did it. <laughs> and I'm like, Yes, right. And so people don't quite understand. And now what's wild is I sit at home and I see Michelob advertising organic beer. Yeah. I'm seeing organic uh seltzers now, all this kind of stuff. And so I think the feeling was, hey, if I'm drinking alcohol, I'm going to stop worrying about whether or not I'm they, they saw drinking, the customers saw drinking as a vice, so they don't think to themselves, okay, I'm going to look for the virtuous vice. Ironically though, if you're worried about organic, if you're worried about if if, if you're adopting organic to avoid pesticides and all of that kind of stuff, It's actually the alcohol where you should be most concerned because this is where it can actually be concentrated and and impact you more than it would in some other scenario because that pesticide that rides along that raw agricultural product, if it survives distillation, it's going to be concentrated. So so this has been the thing that that we've been out there talking about and everyone just thought we were crazy. And honestly, I'm just tired and I want to focus on my kids right now, but I think that that message is starting to launch. I really do. So- My point is is that if somebody were to buy this, they don't have to keep that going. But if someone were interested in being an organic distillery, well, we created the organic wheat market in the state of North Carolina. We pioneered the idea of being locally sourced and organic in the South. Um, You know, we can help them make that transition. All right, man.
0: This is awesome. God, good opportunities. I think the idea of, uh, well, that's why I said some years you're ahead, like there's it's a wide open market now though if you can buy a distiller's license for 200 bucks as a restaurant you've got somebody that can white label you
1: well, that's restaurant. the state that's the state level right then you got the fed you know you got the fed yeah. and all that kind of stuff but the point is it's not expensive it's not expensive right and 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 it can be done and it's no longer weird like it used to be like when i started this the regulatory people were like what the hell are you talking about well now everybody knows it's no big deal love it okay all right man good hey man i appreciate this time i've got actual believe it or not I'm speaking at a rotary meeting, zoom at one. So I'm going to have to take off and get ready for that. But I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me, man. Thank you so much. Rotary, That's the Chapel Hill business right there. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> enjoyed it, man. Very much. We'll uh, get this out there for sure, man. I, something good will happen from this. I, I'm excited.
1: Thanks, man. I appreciate it. See you. Okay, buddy. Bye-bye.